Facing an injury and curious if you can continue training? Is it safe to train through pain? Join Yanni and I today with a sports physio discussing the science of pain and training smartly amidst challenges. But real quick, before we get started, if you listen to our podcast, you know that we put a lot of effort into putting out great content for you guys for free. And the only ask that we have is if you could please share it with your friends. So if you could just take a moment right now, click that share button, copy the link and forward it to someone that you think will get value out of it. It would mean the world to us and it'll only take a moment of your time. So please do that right now. Hit that share button and forward it on. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Rab Burmeister. Today, I am joined by an OG, Phil White, aka Dr. Phil, who is our resident physiotherapist and all things injury and pain science. And today, we're talking about pain science. It is something that Phil is very passionate about. It's something that he's done a lot of work studying, and it's something that has really helped my brother Yanni and I, and by extended family, our whole UMS tribe, to understand what pain science is, how you can use that understanding to overcome a lot of really bad injuries and get back to doing what you love. Welcome to the show, Phil. G'day. Stoked to be back. Loving yeah, being back on the show after a little hiatus. Yeah, yeah it's good times. So today we're talking about, uh, we decided we were going to talk about pain science. First. Don't I get an introduction? No, we are, you don't get an introduction. <laughs> Who's that guy? You, you can talk in a minute, Yanni. Um, we're talking about uh, one of our near and dear members. Totally been rele- relegated with Phil back. I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm no right. longer the smart, smart and good-looking person. Well, that's if you didn't know, Yanni's my brother. He's the co-founder of Unity Gym, and he's the guy that sits in the background and does all the really fun stuff to, to manage our business and pull the strings. But we get him on the podcast every now and then. And <laughs> yeah, uh, today we're talking, about some, we're talking about pain signs, and we're talking about one of our members who recently had a hip replacement um, at the uh, young age of, I think, about 67 or, or yeah, two case studies. But this, is, but this is Patrick here, who I'm pretty sure is 68 years old. He's a trauma surgeon in America. I can't remember which part. And this video is only about three months after having a complete hip replacement. And he's out there uh, deadlifting. He's squatting. I'll find a video of him doing some squats again um, soon. But the, but the idea of, uh, that we want to talk about is that well, Phil, why don't you why don't you talk to us about what yeah, pain so science pain is. science, but like specifically this idea around the injury identity, which is something that I've talked to a little bit about, and I can't remember if I got it from someone or if I coined it myself, but uh, it does seem to connect with people, and I've yeah written you a bit about it yourself, recently. Man, own it. We're going to go with you coining yeah, it yourself, mate, because I've <laughs> yeah, certainly it, got man. it from you. <laughs> yeah, but it's been really nice because like instantly people identify with it because it's something that I really experienced in in my years of. Growing up as a person who loved sport, played competitive sport at like international level, but then I was always like the injured guy, and I always just really struggled with like that. Just became part of who I was, and everyone every time anyone asked me how I was doing, they're like, "Oh, how are your injuries?" And then I started to feel like I was just this you know broken person who, by the end of my like time playing that sport, just felt like you know that was me done, and uh, you know I would just be sedentary and sore for the rest of my life. So it's been something that I've personally overcome and really like identified that identity that I'd adopted from just feeling so like institutionalized through being at the, you know, uh, doctor or the physio getting scans constantly and just feeling so, yeah, broken. And it wasn't really until I found, it was actually, yeah, finding Unity Gym and feeling that confidence I got from training again and feeling like my body was actually, you know, getting stronger, getting better. And I noticed that everything started to hurt less uh, and I was able to feel 
that identity shift from someone who was very broken to being someone who was just, you know, confident and happy and enjoying sport again. So yeah, it's been a bit of a journey personally. And then I've just seen it prop up so many times in with my clients. Yeah. And why don't you talk to us about what, what uh, pain science is? Yeah, so pain is just such an interesting topic that I will endeavour to succinctly. Uh, well, before explain. you go in, before you go into it, can I? Yeah. So let's let me just preface what I would like to say. You know, we have we have injuries, and injuries is Phil. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is what you call pathology? It's what it's what we see on a on a on a report. It's. Uh, is, is that the right terminology? Yeah, I mean, like terminology-wise, injury, yeah, I mean, like changes to morphology is basically this idea that you've got like an injury where it's a structural damage to, you know, your muscles, your bones, your joint, uh, your tendon, whatever. So that's going to be the changes to morphology. And that may or may not have a impact on your pain and your function. So it's sort of disconnecting this idea that, you know, any damage and injury has to have like a lasting effect on your pain. And it's also differentiating between this idea of pain versus suffering. So having a pain experience that is there, but you're able to understand it versus suffering, which is pain experience that then stops you from doing what you love doing. So I think those distinctions uh, help navigate this space. Yeah. And I mean, I can... Sorry, Rad, can I jump in and and say that this... You're not allowed to talk. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not allowed to say anything. I had the most profound uh, experience following my education around pain science. Phil and I did a hell of a lot of um, uh, podcasting shows specifically on this. We did a whole series uh, years ago. You can go back. I don't, I don't remember what episodes they are, but they're, they're in the 400 yeah. odd episodes of podcasts we've got. Uh, and we did a whole week every day of a series on this. And, you know, it's funny. I had, I had a really profound experience after un, un knowing this, you know, this concept of associating pain to risk and um, and perceived risk, and then when you understand that pain is not always a reflection of risk, and when you no longer perceive the scenario as being a risk of you becoming more injured, more sick, more damaged, whatever, then often you can actually consciously turn that pain down. Now, I have learned a lot about this uh, from reading the work of Norman Doidge, who has written a couple of quite prolific books, The Brain's Way of Healing and The Brain That Changes Itself are two that come to mind that I've got in my bookshelf. Uh, but I never really understood the concepts until Phil laid them out in, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm more of a, 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 an, a an audible listener, a learner and, phys- and physical learner. I need to do things. I need to feel things. I need to taste them uh, to, to really understand them uh, as opposed to read, just reading them in books. Now, I had this one experience one night where I burnt myself. Uh, it was a very small, superficial burn on my hand. I was cooking. And, you know, shortly after I had to go to bed and burns are a real pain in the ass when you've just done them, they're fresh and you go to bed and you're just sitting there going, oh man, this is annoying. You know, I can't can't get to sleep because this damn thing's hurting so much. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to actually really consciously disassociate from this. And uh, because the reality is, is that there was no risk of the burn getting any worse or causing any more damage or harm to my body. And I sort of, you could say, and all of the, you know, people that aren't very spiritual might just freak out right now, but you could say that I almost meditated on it. I, I, I very, very consciously made myself aware of the fact that there was no more risk to my body and that this burn, that the pain I was experiencing will soon pass uh, as soon as my body sort of comes to terms with the fact that I'm no longer at risk. 
And it was an instant response, an instant response. The pain went from a 7 out of 10 to about a 3 out of 10. I could still feel it, but it was no longer keeping me awake at night and I just fell off to sleep. And it was the most bizarre sort of, I've, you know, um, experience because, yeah, I'd never, I've, I've never even experienced that before. Now, the, the stuff that I'd read about pain science, especially in, in Norman Deutsch's book, The Brain's Way of Healing, they're talking about phantom pain and having to overcome phantom pain, which is along the same sort of path here. Uh, phantom pain is only- when you have a, a limb missing and you still experience symptoms and sensations, including pain from that missing limb. So. Exactly. And and it's a very common issue for uh, uh, vets, uh, for, for soldiers who have been to, to war or suffered like serious injuries where they've had a limb, blo- a leg blown off or an arm blown off or something, or something like that. And there's clinics around the world that are dealing with this because no amount of pain meds um, that you can take, uh, painkillers, solve this problem, you know. And what they're finding is that this is the only way that they can deal with it is to retrain the brain, to disassociate from this pain. And it starts with a fundamental understanding of just basic pain science. So all I wanted to say before we continue is that this, this is quite profound and, uh, and I've experienced it firsthand myself. And since that um, period that we spent talking about this years ago, I've been able to really, really consciously dial down the, the, the pain volume um, uh, dial that you've spoken about before uh, as a metaphorical term uh, quite um, uh, effectively on many occasions, you know. Anyway. Yes, I love that, that framing, but I also want to really like reinforce that the idea of pain science is not so much that you're able to like decide to hurt less. It's, it usually comes with like proving to yourself via your actions and your um yeah your your beliefs like changing over time but that's when you start to decrease pain so yeah definitely the takeaway i hope shouldn't be the that you need to sit there and think your way out of it because it's very hard to think your way out of beliefs it's the and, secret. <laughs> yeah the secret but i think like it's super pain. interesting like a really interesting example of, of how yanni's use it in very like a practical like short-term actionable way but i think where this really comes into its own is when you're suffering with a chronic pain scenario where um you it which has really led to a lot of suffering so changing you know the way you live and change the way you think and, and how you feel and being able to work through that so that's just a, a, a little um yeah comment on, on yanni's stuff there but also just a, a framing of how to think about this as being useful so to go on from there the, like this came about as being the first thing we learned when i started my doctor of physio postgrad degree was they started a whole week just on pain science because like they really wanted to frame everything that we did going forward through this lens of it's it's all about your brain and your nervous system and how the interaction between, uh, I guess, what information is coming in is then processed through your sort of in like your metabolic state. So uh, in situations where you're in like a highly stressed systemic inflammation state, that's going to turn the volume up of that signal coming in through your body. Um, In a endorphin-like state, that's going to turn the volume down, so less signal coming up um, through the spinal cord into the brain. And then once the information arrives at your brain, then it's processed through your thoughts, moods, beliefs, um, and, uh, and your fears, and that outcome is then a pain experience. So that's why um, surgery works with anesthesia is because you just turn your brain off and then you don't experience pain. So although they're, you know, they're doing things to you that would like very much hurt if you were conscious and awake, like you don't experience that pain because your brain switched off. So pain is an output and it's the perceived threat um, of 
the information coming via your nerves. So, so just quickly, if I could just guide this to a really practical uh, outcome for the listener. Um, you know, we showed this this segment of uh, one of our clients a case study here, and uh, and we discussed. Uh, we didn't really frame why we were showing that in relation to pain science. So why don't you now just share your case study because you've worked with a client uh, who had some issues around this and then really talk about why, you know, someone like uh, Patrick Offner who where uh, we showed before could return so quickly to doing exercises that some people would be terrified of doing after having hip, hip replacement surgery, you know? Yeah, for sure. So the reason I, th I think it's useful to frame it in this like idea of your – um, pain experience being your perceived threat. When I was talking about your thoughts, moods, beliefs, identity, like all of these factors influence how threatening your brain perceives the information. So when um, discussing what we're talking today, like we decided to talk about this idea of an injury identity. And ad identity is something that just is a real shortcut for your brain to basically entrench like your certain beliefs and, and then process information in a much like faster way than having to go through your kind of logical, rational brain, which takes a bit longer um, to, to process information. So when you have these really in, ingrained beliefs and identity, that just does like a total shortcut where it gets to bypass logic and then have a um, have the outcome. So when you've got these beliefs that you're a broken person who, um, you know, is like got an injury that will lead to suffering for the rest of your life and you won't be able to do the things you love, that reinforcing of the identity by, um, you know, having surgery, getting these MRI reports that are just all in... Uh, you know, Latin jargon that um, totally freak you out and being told that you need to be really careful and the experience and the beliefs you've had from people around you who've gone through similar things and that was the end of their, like, you know, positive approach to exercise. Like, with all of those things, it just shortcuts your brain into thinking, hey, this information coming from my area that I'm concerned about is such a threat to my very being that that injury identity is then just going to leave you in a state where it's very hard to um, get past um, yeah, a chronic pain situation. So that I think is, yeah, where we sort of wanted to frame this is like this um, Patrick who's had a hip replacement and then got back into squatting and deadlifting within two months. He's really fought that injury identity by taking the kind of consistent actions that align with the person he wants to be, which is someone who's fit and active. And then by proving to his brain via this actions, and obviously as a surgeon, he has a really good, um, you know, understanding of all this stuff. And I know that he's, I think learned a bit from, um, even, you know, us talking about our experiences and some of this, this science from a very new um, perspective, like that has then helped him process that information that's coming from his area of, of, of you know, surgery, the hip, and helping his brain, brain not see that as a threat, like normal loading signal as a threat. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, I've got something that I think you'll get a lot of value out. It's called the Flexibility Blueprint, and it's an incredible course that Yanni and I have created to teach people all about stage one, stage two, and stage three flexibility. They are different. Like if you're a beginner at stage one, you don't want to be trying to train like somebody who's more advanced at stage two or stage three. And uh, the Flexibility Blueprint teaches you all of that, how to identify what stage you're at and how to take action so that you can level up in 28 days. It's totally free. In fact, it's the best free content we've ever created. And you'll see a link in the description for this podcast. So go and grab that. It's going to change your life, I promise you. And uh, if it doesn't, you can tell me and I'll figure out how I can change your life for the better. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that I learned a lot from you about as well, Phil, when I was dealing with my um, slap tears. Because when I you know, first started doing my training, I could barely lift my arm past there without 
agonizing pain. And so you taught me how to be able to train within the pain-free range, but, but just testing that range and then to use progressive overload, um, which is something that because I'm a coach and I have decades of experience training, these, this terminology <clears throat> makes sense to me and I'm able, I'm able to absorb this information and then apply it to something that I understand. But you know, using progressive overload for me was starting with really, really light weights and then gradually increasing the amount of reps I could do. And then I'd up the weight a little bit. And then, you know, Phil would say to me, why don't we try just a little bit of an increased range now? So going for, for, from example, from a flat chest press to a 15 degree incline chest press, which means that instead of my arms pushing here, they're now pushing to here. So it's, it's just pushing slightly further into that um, range. And I had pain um, in most training sessions, but Phil would talk me through it. He'd ask me um, all these different questions about the pain that I wasn't really getting at the time, but it, it, was, all, it was always about my experience, you know, and I, I can't exactly remember the questions, but he wanted to yeah, know a lot. The, the questions are a lot around this idea of irritability, and irritability is a really good way of saying, like, is the pain that you're experiencing acute pain? Because acute pain is so useful. Like, it is a very useful thing that your body, like, your body experiences pain to protect you, and to make sure that you don't do things that are going to cause like lasting damage, but where it starts to become unhelpful. And it, I think there's like, there's some really interesting medical conditions where people don't experience pain and they usually die quite young um, because they just don't get that feedback and they don't respond to um, the feedback of what they're doing in their environment or illness or sickness. So um, like acute pain is so useful. And the reason why you get swelling and, and extreme um, pain around like a, a, you know, a rolled ankle, for example, is like, it's a really bad idea to keep loading this structure that doesn't need load. It needs a bit of time for the inflammation process to go through for the healing um, mediators to then send all of like the different like healing factors to then um, go through that natural course of healing. It's when you then become so scared about loading it again, that you, you know, spend the next five months in a boot and then anytime you now like your body like has got so used to such little information coming back through um that area that as soon as you know you start to try and do something normal again like that is just suddenly exceeding your threshold for what your brain's got used to and it's seen as a really big threat and if you've got these thoughts moods beliefs that you know you're a broken person who can't ever you know run again or um you've seen these scans with like you know screws going through your foot from a surgery like all of these things really play into this idea that it's it, like you've got a lot of threat. So being able to know if the pain experience, you're, like the symptoms you're getting, so that idea of irritability is, you know, how intense does it get, how long does it settle, um, how long does it stay and how long does it take to settle down versus, um, you know, and generally if you're on the higher end of all of those three things, it's going to be something that is like, okay, there's probably, especially if it's taking a long time to settle down, there's probably some like, um, you know, systemic like inflammation or like sorry just like inflammation process going through or um something suggesting it is still quite acute but if it's just like a weird stab of pain that is a bit intense and then it goes away immediately or you know pretty low level and, and resolves really quickly um then you probably have a bit more uh, confidence that you can push on but again working with a professional who can guide you through it in your particular circumstance is really important but the, yeah i think rad talking about this idea of going through the progressive overload process and getting that feedback from me is just a really nice example of that idea that like, you, you know, unlike Yanni who managed to think his way out of pain, like you generally can't sit there. It's like <laughs> if I soldier. sat here and decided that like, I, if I told myself like, okay, I'm going to convince myself that flat earth, flat earth is have it right. And it's real. Like it would be impossible for me to sit here and change my beliefs that the earth is round. Like it would be very hard <laughs> for me to just decide to change my beliefs in that way. Yeah, even if like, you know, someone had told me and like they seem trustworthy, it'd be very hard for me to just decide that suddenly. But 
with this idea of like working through progressive overload, it's, it's, it's taking these actions, taking these steps that then you give yourself so much evidence that your beliefs change because you've seen, Hey, I've done this thing that was initially scary and I'm better for it. Like that accumulation of evidence is what you need to then change your identity. And so, um, so for, so for a flat earther, that might be just traveling a little bit. Yeah. That, that analogy didn't work too well. Cause then I had to like link it to then a flat earther. No, thing, that's correct? a great uh, analogy. Actually, the other way around. That's, if I was a flat earther. Yeah. No, it's a good analogy. I, I don't know. A lot of our listeners probably don't know this, but, uh, when we're at 1.5 meter social distancing in COVID, a lot of people don't know this, but flat earthers actually feared that if we went to two meter social distancing, it might push some people over the edge. Um, so. <laughs> oh um, but yeah, briefly moving on, like, I think there's just a really nice um, example of uh, this in action with one of my clients who I worked with recently who, uh, similar age to Patrick, so 67, um, he had a hip replacement that he then got the feedback from his initial surgeon that something had gone a bit wrong. It hadn't taken properly. So um, he went and traveled, like he's in England, traveled into Wales to get like a second opinion from this professor surgeon who, you know, was an authority on this particular type of surgery, uh, had all these scans and and was just completely overwhelmed by the whole experience. And he was someone who for his retirement was looking forward to uh, going on these multi-day hikes and cycling around uh, Europe and with his daughter around New Zealand uh, for his retirement and just having, you know, a very active approach to, to life. And then this just like totally shook him and just it felt like, you know, his this life that he dreamed of and this identity that he had was just like completely slipping away. And so I started working with him as an online-only client, so didn't do any poking, prodding, taping, needling, nothing. But what I did was just help him uh, first understand like his experience of going through uh, talking to surgeons, being able to help him work through his like surgical report and his MRI and just explain what all the, you know, scary-sounding stuff that, you know, when you read Latin, everything sounds bad. Like it just sounds like it's, <laughs> it's very serious, but being able to actually, you know, help him understand what a lot of that meant. Um, and then we just very gradually uh, decided to just increase his exercise tolerance by doing very simple things. And then once he had the confidence that he could do, you know, the very simple thing, we just added a bit more and then added a bit more and added a bit more with the context of what different symptoms mean and knowing what to look out for. And so, you know, this, this isn't going to be the experience of everyone in his situation, but within four weeks, he had gone from taking six painkillers a day to take, to no longer taking any, um, and was back to like hiking every morning, um, with his dog and then doing some, some basic strength work that we were doing together. And then, yeah, after 12 weeks, he went off on a trip cycling around Europe where he was doing between 60 and 140 K a day, usually around 80. Um, and yeah, cycled around Europe solo and just had a great time. So for the whole month and yeah, it was just so nice to see, you know, someone who, like was just caught up in the like you know the fear of what like over medicalization and <laughs> a healthcare system that often finds it hard to like help guide people through this in uh, a way because just the like in the nhs there's not the funding for it and you can't see people regularly enough and in private stuff in australia it's often hard to kind of step-by-step work people through this so it's very nice that you know with my new business model i can actually spend that time and um have that like personal connection that can mean that he can sort of trust and work through in the same way that I guess I helped uh, Rad with in the gym. Yeah, I love that um, because it, it it really is a – it was definitely a big part of my recovery was just the reinforcing uh, belief that this is okay and you're yeah. not you're not destroying yourself. What you're feeling is okay and, you know, getting that – getting that reinforced from a physiotherapist uh, like you, Phil, was it was a huge part of my rehab because I remember 
when I initially had my injury and I had that diagnosis and I was looking at the report or having the report read to me, I definitely went through those phases of, oh my God, is this it for me? Am I ever going to be able to do the things that I love again? And I felt that for a while. And it was through your constant reinforcement that, and you, you always just looked at me with a smile and said, it's okay, you know, we're just going to keep doing this and you're, you're getting better and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Just like, and I just like to treat it with like a light curiosity and, you know, treat it like an experiment at, with with how you're going. Like, you know, obviously that means you're just testing a hypothesis and then you're getting the feedback and you're working with it. And so it's not this like, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like that, that lightheartedness is, yeah, just trying to take a bit of like the heat out of it because it's such an emotional thing and I know what it means to be injured and not be able to do what you love. And so kind of, trying to just change that intensity around it to make it less threatening, to treat it with curiosity and then like over time, give yourself so much evidence that you can't ignore it. Yeah. And it works. And it's something that Yanni and I adopted from having this experience with Phil and with a couple of other exceptional physiotherapists that we've worked with that Yanni and I really adopted this philosophy in the way that we coach people in the UMS and, and people get incredible results from it. So you know, thanks, Phil, for all that you share with us and for being able to, uh, you know, to help and guide us through. Uh... Can, can, can I, sorry, before you start to wind yeah. this up, can I just um, add another really practical case study to this concept, which I use very regularly. Those who know our stories know that both Rad and I have, have come into the exercise world with, with a very, very um, severe or serious uh, back compromise you know spinal compromise I fell off a horse when I was a kid and really really messed up my back my lower back and rad has spondylolisthesis and and ended up with a pars fracture uh, that was discovered after a big fall in the military and um, uh, you know often I'm very susceptible to quite nasty back spasm there's no major change and I've had um, such profound for, for a period of time going back decades before I was working with Phil when I'd get a back spasm this bad I would end up in hospital and then they'd do MRIs and and there's nothing wrong there's nothing um new wrong you know there's still damage that shows up in my MRI of my spine from the past injury but that's decades old now multiple decades old now and pretty much all but um, sorted itself out. Uh, and I'm talking spinal fractures. It's not a small thing. You know, there, there was a series of uh, fractures to three of the vertebrae in my lower back. Um, now, um, one of the things that I, since um, uh, working with Phil, it, you know, he used to talk about this concept of motion is lotion. And I just checked to see if I had the T-shirt on because I trained in the T-shirt earlier. We ended up uh, 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 coining this phrase and putting it on a T-shirt because we loved it so uh, much. It was actually uh, originally you... coined by um, a, a pain scientist who is very famous and well-known and it's his term. So we'll just uh, attribute okay, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it didn't originally come from Phil, but I heard it from Phil the yeah. first time. Uh, <laughs> and we were the ones that put it on a T-shirt. So um, we, you know, are you when nowadays when I get a, a back spasm and they do occur from time to time, maybe once or twice a month, and some of them are so bad that it's hard to walk. You know what I do? I deadlift it out. And we have this little saying in Unity Gym, you know, if in doubt, deadlift it out. Uh, and and what I do is I go to is the gym. My and, or is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let, let me finish, then you can give yeah, yeah. your disclaimer. Now, of course, this is relevant to me because I am already very strong and capable. But it, it, it's the most bizarre thing. I can take 
an enormous amount of painkillers, anti um, uh, muscle relaxants, whatever, and get like a mild effect where it'll be now comfortable to lie on the couch and binge Netflix and feel sorry for myself, uh, and that will be tolerable. Or I can limp, hobble up to the gym, and do a deadlift session. And now, of course, I'm not going to be maxing, aiming for like uh, setting PBs and things like that. I'll regress my weight. Let's say hypothetically, I'm doing five by five at 180 kilograms. I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's a reasonable 400. amount, probably 400 pounds. Um, that's what I would be doing prior to the back spasm. What I will do is go, okay, let's try and do a five by five at 140 kilograms and work up to it very slowly. And with each new weight that I put on the bar, I'll just see how it feels. Do one of these little thought experiments that feels saying, how did that feel? Okay, yep, I'm feeling good. I'll add a little bit more weight. I'll add a little bit more weight. I'll add a little bit more weight. Now, I can't remember a time that this didn't work. Nine times out of 10, I will leave that workout because once your body warms up, the you know your pain threshold also increases quite um, uh, profoundly. Uh, but I walk out of that workout and even when I've cooled down again, the pain is either gone or massively reduced. And it is majority this, this concept of sort of reinforcing to the brain that you're okay, you know, you're not compromised for whatever feel, reason why that muscle spasm was occurring. Um, it's, it's now sort of been, um, you know, confirmed that you are okay, you're not at risk, everything's good. And I, I use this strategy all the time now. You know, whenever I have a, a bit of um, a, a spasm occurring in the back, and it's usually in my uh, lumbar erectors, erector spinae, or QL muscle on one side or both sides, uh, it can be in the um, intercostals or muscles around the ribs or even lats or something like that. Uh, and it's usually, it's usually nasty, mate. Like, you know, it's hard to take a deep breath. It's that bad. Uh, but after a little deadlift session, submaximal weights uh, and really, really taking it slowly, disclaimer, um, I come back and I feel great. Phil, you can finish. Yeah, so just to chuck the disclaimer in there, like I think it's important again to recognize Yanni's context of being very experienced, one with his injury and really knowing like morphologically, so what's happening in the body. Um, so from his previous scan and, and time with medical appointments, and then also understanding, you know, what his body can do in terms of strength. So I think like for him, that's a really great example, which I wouldn't encourage for people who maybe hadn't had as much experience deadlifting. And certainly like if you don't know initially what's going on with it, you really want to make sure that's where you start. So do work with a professional to like understand what's going on, understand what symptoms to look out for, um, and then know, yeah, what, when you're progressing, what are the variables that are most likely to be uh, challenging for your body, and then really incrementally work your way up through there. And I think, you know, you can definitely take that principle of what Yanni's done there and then apply it in a slightly, you know, less risky for a general person by thinking about like, you know, if you have a shoulder injury, go out and do like a hard cycling session on a spin bike or, you know, do a, a lower body strength workout that, you know, really leaves you feeling, you know, pretty sore. Like push yourself in these other avenues and that's a nice way of like just giving yourself that kind of identity and confidence of someone who like, no, I still like am very capable. I still can do things that make me feel um, like I'm progressing. And that just starts to play into, again, that psychology of, um, you know, that you are a capable person who doesn't, you know, need to lose everything and it helps with that positive health spiral that I've talked about where it just keeps your motivation going, which makes it easy to keep exercising, which manages your sleep well, which is going to then have positive effects on your pain. It's going to make your stress better, which is then also going to have positive effects on your pain. When you're managing your stress, you're probably going to eat better, which is going to have positive effects on your pain. And then it's all this like, and that works in your, your 
body composition, which again will have positive metabolic effects, which will have positive effects on your pain. So it's this this like good spiral of like both mental like belief based things and then also like physiological um yeah knobs to turn up and turn down on your pain experience awesome yeah so just one last little bit there with i just wanted to chuck in a fact which i sort of forgot to mention when i was talking about that idea of information coming from your nervous system up into your brain really important thing to understand is you don't have pain receptors you have lots of different types of information so pressure um uh, temperature, like chemical changes, and there is something called nociceptors, which people often misattribute as pain receptors, but they're actually like damage and threat receptors. So just really important to understand here that like you don't have pain receptors, it's what your brain processes from that information. So I think just having that like understanding then just helps you reframe why this like mental side of things can change your, um, and physiological like turning up and turning down the knobs can have such a profound effect on the pain you experience because yeah, it's not like you're activating a pain receptor and getting a certain response. It's all of this um, processing by your brain trying to figure out how to help you best. Perfect. Great show guys and uh, great to have you back, Phil. It's, um, it's been a pleasure and looking forward to more episodes. If you got value out of this, uh, like and subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment if you, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer. We always answer people's questions from within the UMS Tribe membership first, but if we don't have any of those, then we go to our uh, YouTube and our social media audiences. So if you've got anything- Yeah, and want- I'm writing an article a day at the moment uh, on Twitter uh generally like a 300 500 word just trying to get one key concept across and so i'm always looking for things to write about so any of your comments put on the videos or if you send me a message and add me on twitter and request something um yeah i'm so definitely happy at, to at phil that. white physio on twitter yeah perfect right. and beautiful and if you want to, uh, if you are somebody that wants to overcome uh, a lot of a lot of your pain, if you're a little bit further along the journey and you don't need your hand held as much, you can come and join the UMS Tribe membership, uh, where we write custom programs for everybody and get great results. And if you want to work with Phil, you can find Phil at philwhite.me, and for us, we're at unitygym.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you in the next episode. Yeah.